So we are in week two of this series that we're doing on prayer, and the um, our goal, really, in all of this is for everyone to enjoy their relationship with God, to, wait, there's a fancy Venn diagram, to enjoy our relationship with God more, to love other people better, and to have more love for other people, and also to grow in our own kind of spiritual self-awareness. So, and that's what prayer does is it gets to all these things in kind of different ways. Now, some messages are going to be more about one than another. This particular message is more of how to love other people well, how to love other people more than we would kind of by ourselves. Um, but really, regardless of kind of where you are with Jesus, all of us pray, every single one of us. You don't have to be a Christian. In fact, me and Kathleen were chatting about this at MC the other night. Um, you don't have to, like, we all have some level of uh, things that come out of us that function like prayers. I think most of us probably have at least three. One is, wow. Like when you see something that's amazing, and whether it's something in nature or some you know, crazy thing that you just saw happen in front of you, you're like, wow. And no one could be even, you could just be completely by yourself, and you might even say it out loud. Like, wow. Who are you talking to when you say that? The other one is, um, I don't know if it's one particular word, but it's, Basically goes like this. Please, 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 please. It's like that over and over and over again. It's like right before a car crash. You're like, oh no, 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 no. Please, please, please. You can be by yourself, and but you're you're talking to somebody. Yeah, I mean, one could say maybe you're just talking to yourself, but it's something a little bit more than that. I think you're talking to somebody, and so you have you have wow, you have please, 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 and then also you have swear words. Now it's after the crash happens. You're like. Which, of course, I'm not going to demonstrate for you all. Um, but uh, whatever that word that comes out, and that in itself is a prayer as well. You're talking to somebody. You're not just talking to yourself. You're talking to somebody. So when something is amazing, when something is about to go horribly wrong, when something actually does go horribly wrong, all of us are talking to someone out there. Whether you call it the universe, whether you call it this God or that God, we all kind of pray. Now, um, again, one could say you're just talking to yourself. And you know, that's probably true, but it is also kind of a prayer. And so all of us have some sort of praying life. And prayer is often that one thing that if you were to transform that one thing, it would actually affect all the other areas of your life. It's that you put in a small amount of input and get a crazy amount of output that comes from it. It's, it's unequal distribution. So growth in prayer doesn't just lead to better prayer leads to a more fulfilling life, a better life in general. It leads to growing in our own self-awareness, leads to enjoying God more, and it also leads to loving other people in better ways. Now, wherever you are with prayer or with God or whatever the thing is, with Christianity itself, I do know this, the better your prayer life, the better you are going to love other people. It's just true. And this comes in two ways. The first is when we pray, that actually does stuff. That's what Christians believe. When we actually pray, the prayers themselves are effective is like the word that we might hear. That actually does, you're actually doing something. You're not just like meaning well or sending good vibes. The thing is actually going to happen. And secondly, when we pray, our own hearts get transformed because we're talking to God. The more time we spend with God, the more we get molded into his image instead of something else that might be out there. So when that happens, we have an expanded capacity to love others. So we don't just... Um, have more, uh, we don't just love, love other people in a more, like, better qualitative way, like the love itself is more quantitative in that there's a lot more, there's more of it to give. So, without God to guide us, though, uh, and he guides us through the word, as we're going to hear today, without him to guide us, our prayer lives 
really won't be much more other than wow, please, and swear words. That's basically what we have. But through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through the Father, we can love others well through prayer. So by ourselves, our lame prayer lives are all about us. We always think about, oh, how can my life get better, the things that I need to get fixed on. And, you know, those are valid, but if that's the only thing we're praying about, it's kind of lame. But the Trinity at work in us, which is what happens inside of each one of us, we get to be transformed and live a life that loves other people well. So this letter we're looking at today. So normally, so we're going through a series, so we're jumping through different kind of books in the Bible, different prayers that Paul in particular has for people in the Bible. Normally we do kind of one book and we go through the whole book. Now we're, we're doing a little bit more topical. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in a city called Thessalonica. Last week we looked at his second letter to this church. This week is the first letter to, to this church. And Paul's writing to a church a lot like ours. It's not old. It's not established. It's new, and it's a new thing. And it's new, a new church in a hostile environment as well. And as a new church, just like this new church in Thessalonica, we need to hear these same words from God today. So here's a bit of a preview of where we're going. So we talk about praying for others. We're going to be talking about um, being first, what it means to be thankful for other people, how to have a passion for other people, uh, we'll pray for love to overflow, not just to stay with us, but to go to others, and also for us to be fixed in holiness. So thankful for others, passion for others, love to overflow, fixed in holiness. That's where Paul goes, and so that's where we're going to go. So if you have your Bible or an app or something like that with you, uh, let's just keep your Bible open because I'll be re- referring to it kind of often. So here's verse 9, the first verse that Liz read. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have and the presence of our God because of you? So the we here, how can we thank God? This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. This is Paul's like church-planting crew, his ministry crew of people. And that's the we here. They're a group of pastors, a group of church planters. Paul writes that they are thanking God because of all the joy they received from those in the church in this particular city. And this joy isn't just something to sniff at or it's something that was, oh, that was kind of nice. It's a joy that's found in God's presence. All the joy we have in the presence of our God. So there's something that their, their joy is like bringing them more into the reality of God being present in their life. And they're so overjoyed from the thought of these people in a church that's far away from where they are at the moment. They get so excited about it. They're so happy. It says they can't thank God enough for these other people. See, God has made his joy to come through others. That's often how it works. The joy that comes from God's presence can come through others. It's kind of the ordinary way that God has set up life. Look, he's God. He can have joy come through any way that he wants, any which way that he wants. But the primary way he has made his joy come through is through other people. This tells us the importance, the fundamental necessity of the church. A church isn't just like a good idea, not just like a, a nice kind of hobby to do every now and then. It's, it's for your own joy. Being a member of the church is for your joy. So if you want more joy, get your life involved in a church. This is more than just kind of dating the church, or it's kind of like nice friends with it. The joy that Paul, ta- Paul's talking about comes from a wholehearted commitment to the church. And when you become a member of a church, you are committed. It's like the difference between renting a house or buying. Like when you own the house, you're going to treat the house differently. Uh, it's the difference between casual dating and a committed relationship. I remember when Christina and I were going through uni or maybe even high school, there were these DTR conversations. It's in America. I don't know if there's a thing over here. Determine the relationship. Like, are we, what's that? Define the 
Define. That's even better. Yes. Yeah. Because hopefully the yeah it's something. It's like so. What are we? Are we boyfriend girlfriend? Are we like exclusively dating? Are we just kind of hanging out? Like what's the deal? It's helpful to know where we are. So God is teaching us here that one thing we can do in our prayers is to thank God for others when they give us joy. See, Paul, it, it, Paul's praying to God, but he's also telling the church of how he's praying to God. So he's instructing them how to live. Now, this isn't always easy. And really, I think for two main reasons. One, other people aren't always the cause of joy, right? Other people, there's a great Seinfeld quote I love to use, people, they're the worst, you know, like other people, they're they're, going to hurt us. They're going to let us down. They're going to disappoint us. It's the opposite of never going to give you up. So the one reason it's difficult for us to find joy in other people is because of them. The other reason, because of us. They're difficult. What do we think? We're difficult. So other people are a problem. We are included in that problem. We are the problem as well. Other people aren't perfect. We're also included in that not perfect circle. We are self-absorbed. We are self-focused. We don't really go out of our way to think about other people, let alone pray for them. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know, other people can easily not bring joy. They can bring bitterness instead. And if, especially if you've served in leadership, so many pastors are, you know, I remember even my theological training in seminaries is kind of like a lot of jaded pastors. It's like you can't really be friends with anyone in your congregation because they're just going to hurt you. We can be tempted to move towards self-protection and close ourselves off. Anybody can. We can be self-righteous instead and be like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of a little bit step above. But none of that will ever bring any kind of joy. Self-righteous has never brought anyone joy. It's, it's an attempt to shortcut it to get us something we want, but it's never going to give us the thing we want. So what is the root of Paul and, and his crew here? What's the root of their joy? Because surely there were immature people at Thessalonica just as there are immature people in our church, just as there are immature people in every single church that's ever existed. So it's not like Thessalonica was just like a gang of angels. Like what's the deal here? Well, verse seven, if we go back just a few verses, it says, we were encouraged about you because, why? Because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. The faith in God, embodied by these people who have committed together to be a church. This is what brings Paul and his friends intense joy. The faith in God, embodied by these people who have committed together to be in in the church, this is what brings joy. And this can only happen when we learn to see people how Jesus sees people. Jesus bled out for that person sat next to you in in the row. Everyone in this room. Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father is ruling over the world and praying for other people other than yourself. That's amazing. Jesus loves the people in this room beyond anything we could even like bring words to. And just that little bit that we know of Jesus' love for other people, that's how we ought to act towards others. Now, in order for us to get to that point means listening to them, requires us to hang out with people. Um, outside formal meetings, like outside formal missional community meetings or Sunday mornings, things like that, requires seeing yourself rightly, not as superior, because, um, you know, you're not, but requires you, in order to see yourself as fortunate to be this other person's brother, this other person's sister. And when we see each other through the eyes of Jesus, other brothers and sisters in Christ will give us a joy that we can't thank God enough for. God is teaching us to thank him in our prayers for the joy that others give us. That's one way how we pray. And what's the other thing too? If you're like, I just don't really feel a joy from other people. 
if you can find any kind of small little thing and actually pray to God and thank Him for other people, or even if you're just like, I can't think of anything, I'm just going to say, I thank God for this person. That's the best I can do. The more you do that, actually, the more joy you get from it because God will change your heart over it. So the more, this is like the weird thing. It's kind of like a positive loop. The more you thank God for the joy you get from other people, the more joy you get from other people. And the more you thank God for it, it just kind of keeps going around and around. All right. So thankful for others. That's verse nine. Let's look at um, the next verse. A passion for others. These guys here, they cannot wait to serve the spiritual needs of the church. They long to visit this church at Thessalonica, not to kind of get their, their Greek holiday on, um, because they, oh, they're desperate to soak in the sun, but so they can serve them to supply what is lacking in their faith. This is verse 10. Uh, Paul says, uh, Night and day we pray most earnestly we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. To not, these people, they're begging God. Please, God, oh, I just want to get to this church. I just want to, I want to serve these people because we love them so much. They're begging him. Now, not in kind of like a groveling kind of begging thing, but the same way that my six-year-old son would be begging me for an ice cream or a sweet. I mean, you know how, if you've been around kids at all, and if you're a parent, you know, and if you've not been a parent, you've been around, I mean, my son enough to be like, will they ever stop asking for ice cream? No, they will not. They will never stop. They're going to find many varied ways of asking. And or they'll just repeat themselves over and over and over because they really want that thing. It's relentless. It's like the, their whole world is wrapped up in just that ice cream that they're going to hold. And I mean, that's annoying when a six-year-old might, you know, keeps going on and on. But it is transformative when a Christian seeks the Father for others' good. It's transformative for the Christian as well as who they're caring about. Now notice as well, this doesn't seem to be like just a mere box-ticking exercise for Paul here. Uh, he's praying at fixed times. He, he kind of has these already set up, most likely in Paul's situation, he's praying seven times a day. Uh, and he's doing so earnestly. His emotions are involved. He's not just like, yeah, we've ticked the box for you during our prayer times. No, he, there's, there's, there's an emotion here. And maybe just two quick things to, to say here. Some people... Um, think that it, it might be legalism to have set times to pray in the day. Now, legalism is the idea that if I follow these rules, then, uh, I'll, then I'll be good instead of actually following Jesus, which is very, it's a horrible thing. And every Christian kind of, we have our own kind of legalistic tendencies. But it doesn't have to be legalistic to have a plan to pray. There's a difference between being disciplined and being legalistic. If I want to play the guitar, I will have set times to practice. If I don't have set times to practice, I'm not really going to learn. Or at least I'm not going to learn at the speed I'd like to, and I'll probably give it up. If I practice the guitar for 30 minutes a day, nobody's on my case of like, wow, it seems like, Greg, your whole identity is being wrapped up in practicing this guitar. Like, no, no one's saying that. If I work eight hours a day, people are like, oh, I can't believe you, have, you work from nine to five every single day. Doesn't that, don't, isn't that legalistic? Like, no. But if we apply that same logic to our prayer life, and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, that's legalism, I can't do it. The, the same way to grow is this in prayer is the same way to grow in anything. You have to give time to it. Sometimes that might mean planning. I know for my life, I have to, otherwise I'm not going to do it. That's not true for everyone's life. And I am very jealous of those people. Um, but uh, for me, I, I need to do that. But here's my guarantee. If you plan to pray, regardless of your personality or whatever, if you plan to pray, you will actually pray more. It, it just, it's just going to happen because we'll think about it more and we'll orientate different parts of our life around it and also has potential for your prayer life to be more enjoyable, just like anything else in life. Now, this can get self-focused. This can be kind of like technique-based and be like, oh man, I didn't pray for that, you know, however many minute slot. 
Like, oh, now just the whole day is going to be ruined. Um, now, that's not a problem with prayer. That's not a problem with planning. That's just a problem with having an immature heart. Just like a young child trying to learn instrument, too much of an expectation of practice and proficiency, they're going to hate it. And they'll, or there'll be other, there'll be little legalists themselves with the instrument. So to counteract all of that idea of like, you know, is this just, are these just rules to follow or what's the deal? To counteract this, Paul says he prays most earnestly. He's bringing his emotions into it. If you don't bring your emotions into it, it's going to be empty regardless of how you choose to do it. He's praying with his whole heart. It's easy to get something in the diary. It's easy to make that appointment to pray. It's something else to pray wholeheartedly regardless of how it works. It requires all of you. And if you're praying earnestly, chances are you aren't being legalist. You're just following Jesus. So uh, we have the two, the planning and the wholeheartedness together. Actually, we talk about that a bit on the practical prayer course. Like, What does it mean for these two things uh, to go on? This is what a healthy prayer life looks like. It's one that's planned, but one that requires our, our whole being. This is also actually what a healthy relationship with God looks like in general. It's going to require us to plan, to do things we might not always like, and also require us to bring our whole hearts involved. So Paul, okay, he's praying uh, day and night. He's praying earnestly, but for what? And here he talks about it towards the end, um, to uh, supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to serve people who are lacking in their faith. I mean, who are the people in your life that are lacking in their faith? These could be Christians who are, you know, maybe not as mature as where you're at or maybe just in a different life state of where you are. Um, these can be people who don't know Jesus yet because they're lacking, they would say they're lacking in their faith quite a lot. This is the reason why we have this little thing which you saw on your, on your seats and we're using these in our, in our missional communities is just so we can actually pray for these people and actually do it because we see it. The more you see it, the more you probably pray, even if it's a quicker prayer. Um, that's one of the reasons for this. Uh, and, and just a side note, I was chatting with Liz beforehand. I could totally see how this would be the case. This verse could be seen as almost like a, um, a way to shame people who we might deem as like lower than us. Maybe they're not like as theologically astute or they haven't been Christians for as long or whatever. Like, oh, you're lacking in your faith. Let me help supply you. You know, it's kind of like this idea of, I will be the hero here. Just listen to me. Um, but that's not what's going on here at all. Paul's not shaming these people. He's, he wants to serve them. In fact, serving is the complete opposite of shaming. You can't serve someone from above. You have to serve them from underneath. You have to serve them from where they are. And serving requires you to stoop to wherever they might be, out of love, not out of like self-righteousness. So in, in all of this, what's going on is the Holy Spirit supplies what is lacking in others through us. That's what's going on. That's how, that's how God loves to work. The Holy, there are people who are lacking in their faith that are in your life. And the reason why they're in your life is so God can work through you through the Holy Spirit in order to help supply what they need. Now, you may not go up to somebody and be like, I would love to help supply your lack in faith. Uh, you know, you may, may, might be a bit of a weird conversation. Maybe for some people, it's totally cool. Um, but for someone, especially if they don't know Jesus, don't say that. Just try and be their friend. Try and learn more about their story. Learn about how the gospel might connect with their life. All the other kind of things we can do. Uh, you don't have to tell them, although sometimes, you know, it is helpful to tell them. Now, when you pray, if you, if you use this thing and you're praying like these words that we're talking about here uh, to pray for these people, probably what you're going to find often what happens is God will invite you to be part of the answer to your prayers. If you're praying for someone, you're like, oh, so-and-so, Lord, I pray you will supply what is lacking in their faith, which is a good prayer to have. There's a reason why we're going through this prayer series. It gives you information on how to pray. If you pray that often, you're probably going to find God's going to invite you to be a part of, of supplying that answer. 
because the Holy Spirit supplies what's lacking in others through us. And now sometimes also it seems like nothing less than a work of God is required to get you there. Like verse 11, when Paul says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. This isn't just like a, I'm going to walk over here and talk to this person. It's like there's lots of boundaries here. And if God himself doesn't work, if Jesus doesn't clear the way, like we're not going to be able to come to you guys. We're not going to be able to, to, be able to supply what's lacking in your faith. And sometimes also there, there's an ache that we have to get involved with something, to do something, and there can just seem to be loads of blocks along the way. I mean, this is the story of COVID, right? COVID has blocked everyone's plans for everything. Ooh, I dropped it this time, but I was smart. I put a lid on. I have not done this. Okay, I don't know. Right, I'm not going to talk about spilling water in front of everybody. Okay. So, let's get back to what we're talking about. Um, now, I'm talking... Um, about that ache to do something that has been disrupted. More than a holiday, of course. I'm talking about a deep heart level of wanting to serve other people and you being blocked from it. Like for those of you who know Lydia, she wanted to go to Papua New Guinea. She was not able to do that. And, and look, she may not ever be able to do that. That was a, a, a massive calling that she felt that she had. She followed in obedience, made sacrifices for it, and was not able to go in the end. Think of Josh and Rachel, who are, who are in February or January, whatever time, are, are going to be moving overseas as well. Like, they have an ache to do that thing. If God and Jesus doesn't clear the way, they're not going to be able to do that. Or Alicia, O'Daniel, who's going to be moving here this month to work with Redeemer for three days a week. God has done so many things, whether, um, and I'll let you, I'll let her talk about it. Um, God has really kind of paved the way and cleared the way for her to be able to come here. Sometimes it takes nothing less than the Father himself and the Lord Jesus to pave the way to make something possible. This requires wrestling with God. This requires praying to him, arguing with him, telling him that you're angry, you feel like he's let you down when you feel like those things. Um, sometimes shouting at him, you know? And in this wrestling process, what happens is God draws us close to himself. He molds us more into his image, slowly chiseling away the chaff. So the question, I guess, from here, from these two verses, 10 and 11, is who are the people in your life that you know well that are lacking in their faith? Are you as invested as Paul is? Who are those kinds of people? If so, does, do those people make their way into your prayers? If so, do those prayers kind of move you towards being active in their life? How does that play out in your everyday life? Now, even just these two kind of points we've already had, um, we, we've seen how all of this rubs against the grain of the idea of self-fulfillment, that we're here on this earth only to make ourselves be the best people we can be. Um, in fact, most of this kind of chat today, and I guess really the weeks to go forward, is, is the rest message really isn't about you as it is much about other people. And the rest is going to kind of be the same here as we continue to verse 12. Uh, Paul prays uh, for two things here for the church. Um, he isn't praying for people interested in the church. He isn't praying for people who aren't believers for these verses here, these particular verses. Um, now, of course, these are words for everybody. Everybody, uh, every word in here is for every person. But the main responsibility here, especially these last two verses, is meant to be borne by the members of the church. So, if you're a member of Redeemer, listen up. This is all on us. Verse 12, Paul prays for our love to overflow. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So Paul's holding himself up as a model here, saying, oh, I earnestly, I really want to serve you guys and love you guys well. 
And he's like, we want you to be like that. Like, not just to rely on us to be those people. We want everyone in the church to kind of be like that. That our love will not just increase, um, but be so big it can't be contained. It has to go somewhere. It overflows. The love, this love uh, that God has given us is meant to abound. There's an abundance. An abundance is like more than necessary. To be rich, we're billionaires in the love that we have from God. Love billionaires. Now, we don't like it when someone like Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson use their money to go off into space and do all these things. And like, oh, they could use their money for so many good things, like helping the poor, reading the whole world of hunger, even just maybe giving their employees a little bit more money. But look at us. We have more love than Bezos has money, and Bezos has a lot of money. We have more love than that. How are we acting with the love that God gives us? We're in that same boat want to ship off into space instead of actually deal with the people who are in front of us. When we understand God's abundant love for us, we give it away quickly, without strings attached, and without reservation. Because we know there's always going to be more. It's not like we're out because we gave love and we didn't get it in return. Like God gives us more than we need. And this love is directed to us in this room, in our church, but not just for us, because he also says, for everyone else. So not just each other in this room, but everyone. This means in your MC meetings, there is one important voice that will always be silent. You'll never hear from this voice. In all of your missional community meetings, in all the Sunday meetings, we're never going to hear from this voice. It's the person who isn't there yet. That voice, you won't hear. Someone has to speak up for that voice. That person won't be making decisions. That person won't be involved in conversation. You have to make sure that person's voice is heard. It's a justice issue as much as it is a love issue. Are your missional communities just about believers? Your meetings, are they organized around what's easiest for Christians? Your social life, is it organized around you? Or do you just use just a little tiny bit of your billions? How does your richness overflow to others? Skin color, class background, political ideology, these are the things that divide us. And a church that continues to divide over it does not get the love of God, doesn't get the gospel. A church that perpetuates those divisions and does not repent is not fit to continue to exist. It's better for that church to not exist at all because it ceased being what it says it is. But when your love is overflowing, when that's happening, you pray like Paul here, with thankfulness, with a passion for others' good. And as Paul says, just as ours does for you. See, Paul is modeling how the church should live. Now, this isn't just how we should live. It's how we should also pray for others to live as well. So this means taking these words and praying them not just for yourself, but for other members of our church. So maybe we could pray for people, other, not just for our love to overflow so for everyone else, but also the person that we're praying for, for their love to overflow to everyone else. That we would live in this kind of radical, supernatural, and gospel-centered kind of way. Like these are really specific prayers, right? This is more than just like, oh, I hope so-and-so knows that God is with them. Like, Oh, God, please be with them. And you know, it's, I, I get what, maybe what we mean by that. God's always with them. Like, he's not like, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, now I'll do it. God's everywhere with us all the time. But what, what do those kind of prayers mean? It probably means we want to pray something for them. Maybe we don't know specifically how to pray. Or we have the time or energy to do it. You know, sometimes that's fine. But if that's our whole prayer life, it's kind of lame. We need to grow a little bit more in that, which is why we're getting into this series. Our prayers should get into the nitty-gritty of other people's lives. And this particular prayer here is not a one-size-fits-all prayer. This isn't, maybe some of these things you're like, I don't know if so-and-so needs to be prayed for these things, 
but maybe there's other things that need to be prayed for. It gets really, it gets more specific. If your prayer life doesn't touch the overflowing love of God and therefore the overflowing love we ought to have for others, we need an upgrade. So we should pray these words and words like them and just watch to see how God responds in your life and other people's lives. And when you see that in others, you too uh, will be like Paul, overwhelmed with joy and thanking God because you're gonna hear these little stories or maybe even you hear someone else who's telling that story like, oh, I was praying for that person with this thing for like the past six months. And now I'm hearing a story of how the, their love has overflowed to this other person. That will be a cause for joy because the way that God has us uh, grow and, and, and move is through his spirit as we pray for other people. Right, okay. Let's, um, let's get into this last one here. Fixed in holiness. Here's verse 13. I'll just read it real quick. It says, May he, who's uh, the Father, may the Lord uh, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So it's the last point here in Paul's prayer. For God to strengthen us for this reason, to be blameless and holy. Now, I don't know, this might remind you of when God tells his people to be holy as he is holy in the Old Testament, which sounds kind of insane. And in 1 Peter, which we are going to get to in the autumn, we're going to go through 1 Peter, um, there's a verse that says, like, we ought to be holy as God is holy. Like, what? Holy as God is holy? Like, do you know how holy God is? He's pretty holy. You want me to be that holy? Like, I don't understand. How does that work? How in the world does that work? It sounds impossible. Well, what, what, what's the deal here? Um, let's talk about holiness first. Because I think I often grew up, so I grew up in the church, um, mostly, and any time I heard holiness defined, it was really only defined as like set apart, which I was like, okay, that's good, but it doesn't really tell me more. Uh, now, that, that's true. Holiness is set apart. It's something that's it's different, qualitatively different, a set apart kind of day, which is why um, one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, like basically keep that one day different than the other six days. And that's just, so it's set apart. Um, but what is holiness? Holiness, and the best way I feel like I can understand it, is, is a wholeness. It's a perfection, like the way things ought to be. That's what holiness is. Jesus healed a man's busted arm on the Sabbath. That's holiness. An arm that was previously shriveled and not good for anything, Jesus healed specifically on the Sabbath to demonstrate what holiness is, what it means to be whole. So that's where we are, our identity, is Jesus has made us whole. The Christian life then is to live our lives in congruence with that identity, to live, to, to, for our, the way that we live to connect with who we are. If Jesus has made us whole and made us holy, which we are, uh, all that, that I'm not going to get into, we'll get into maybe a little bit more of that next week. Um, Jesus has made us whole. The way we're supposed to live is whole lives. We're supposed to be made, be living uh, holy lives. Uh, and when Paul says strengthen, he's getting this idea of being fixed, being established. Elsewhere in the Bible, that word strengthen gets used to describe stuff like boats firmly fixed in a harbor. Why does a boat go into a harbor? So it's safe from any kind of storm. It's not moving. It's going to be fixed. So as much as a boat is fixed in a harbor is how we ought to be fixed in holiness. Now, sometimes when we think of holiness, we think of, I mean, no one would say, oh, I'm really pursuing holiness. If you said that to some random person on the street, they'd be like, oh, this person means he's trying to be self-righteous. But if holiness is wholeness, self-righteousness has nothing to do with it because that's not how we're called to live. Jesus has told us, the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect kind of example of this. How are we to live? 
is the, what it means to live a whole life. Whole living is living the way God intended us to live because that's us when we're truly ourselves, when we're truly alive, following Jesus in the way that he's called us to. And if that's what we're fixed in, established in, it means regardless of whatever storm might come, whatever comes our way, whether externally or internally, we are fixed in that wholeness because we're found in Jesus. There's safety there. What, regardless of whatever storms come, that boat in the harbor is not moving. So wouldn't we all like to be anchored in being whole? If we say whole instead of holiness, I feel like that kind of gets a little bit more to what we're talking about. A lack of wholeness is, being, is incomplete. It's the man with the shriveled arm. He has one hand, but he can't really use the other one. But when now he has two fully working arms, now he's more himself. He's more complete. He has, uh, his capacity grows. Holy living is how we live out being whole. And how do we get this? Well, it's not by trying harder. It's not by, obviously not by being self-righteous. So we'll, we'll, we'll all struggle with that, of course. It um, it's, comes through God himself. Verse 13 says, may, may he strengthen your hearts. This is Paul, he's kind of writing these prayers down, continually praying that um, God will strengthen the church at Thessalonica, their hearts, so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of God. And all of us are in God's presence after all. We may not, you know, feel it, but it's true. That can either be a scary thing or an empowering thing. Be really scared, oh, all the time? Like God sees me all the time? Or it could be like, oh, God sees me all the time. Like he knows, he's there with us. And thinking of the end of days that he talks about, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones, that can be scary as well. But if our holiness is fixed, then we're safe, just like a boat in a harbor. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. Any storm that comes our way, we are fixed in his holiness. Not because we're strong, because he is. An anchor isn't worth anything unless it's anchored to something. Being fixed in holiness, having our wholeness found in Jesus is a foundation we get in order to be generous in giving love to other people, generous in our passion for other people, generous in our thankfulness to God. So what does it mean to pray for other people to be fixed in holiness? Because this is not the kind of normal language that might come out of my mouth. I might not say, oh, I pray that Christina will be fixed in holiness. Unless I, you know, I might have to think about that for a bit. But what does that mean to pray for? Well, we pray for God to strengthen them and we pray for them to see God as their strength. And if, the, if we see people relying on God for their strength, God's going to come through. He never doesn't come through. God will always come through and strengthen them. And we pray that this anchor of strength would lead to living in line with who we are, being whole-hearted people, living whole lives. Set apart means not like everyone else. Set apart means uh, it's not always easy. Set apart means we're going to have a different set of ethics. Set apart means we're going to deal with money in a different way, time in a different way, relationships in a different way. Everything will be different because we are set apart. It's not always easy and it can be scary if you don't rely on your anchor. In fact, it will be impossible if you don't rely on God to be our anchor. Now, saying you are a Christian and not living like it is a definition of hypocrisy, right? No one says, oh, I love hypocrites. They're my favorite people. Like, no one likes that. And everyone thinks the church is full of hypocrites. Well, kind of they're right because all of us, you know, we all fall. We're, none of us are perfect. But it's about what, where, what's our trajectory? Is our trajectory more inward or is it more heavenward towards God? Where are we actually going? We don't have to be perfect, but we're going somewhere. Where are we going? And Jesus, of course, has some things to say about hypocrites. Not all great. And all of us need to have others praying for us as much as we need to pray for other people. We all need those prayers ourselves to live as authentic Christians.
So we also pray that others will enjoy um, the reality of being whole in Jesus. New life in Christ is such an amazing life to have and to not enjoy it would be tragic. I was just talking to someone last week after our service of just the kind of, um, uh, their life is kind of like you know, chaotic right now, but at, and it, in a normal situation, any one of the multiple things that are blowing up in this person's life would kind of derail them. But this person is a Christian and they were talking about going through it. And it's like, it's actually kind of exciting. It's like, I almost wonder if I should feel bad that I don't feel bad. Um, because what God is doing is giving him his strength that he needs to go through difficulty. And if we don't rely on Jesus, we rely on ourselves. We know how we are. We fail all the time. So these, what we talked about, you know, these four things we talked about are some things to pray and, and, uh, and, or even just kind of maybe bringing up these, uh, these verses as you pray, uh, as you linger over these words and how to pray for others, more words are going to surface because God will bring more words to light in how we ought to pray. More specific and loving and earnest prayers will come if we get to the work of prayer. And the reason we pray is because this, all of this, is an overflow of what God has already done for us. God, who is holy, has taken us who are not holy through his Son and Spirit who are holy and has made us holy. Can I say that again? I didn't mess it up, I don't think. God, who is holy, has taken us who are not holy through his Son and his Spirit who are holy and has made us holy. That's what God does. He's made us whole. Jesus had to die for our lack of wholeness, for our incompleteness, required nothing less than the death of God himself. And he rose again so that we could have his wholeness. And this is something that anyone can get in on. You can have a life like this and where, where you get to take a bit of the focus off yourself for a moment and love other people well, radically, supernaturally, beyond your, even your capacity yourself. And you can only do so much by yourself. But God through you is something completely different. Now, if you come or uh, watch on Sundays and you're not in a missional community, uh, maybe it might be time to like maybe try one out. It's, it's where we find the relationships of what we just talked about because there's no way we can know and the, the depth that Paul's talking about these people, there's no way we can know everyone in our church the way that Paul's talking about so we can pray in that kind of specific way. So you have to break it down into bite-sized pieces. Missional communities are small groups we meet throughout the week. There's a bit of our bite-sized pieces. Um, and our, our missional communities are going through this together uh, right now it's the practical prayer course. So we've been talking a lot of content of prayer, like the theology and information from the Bible behind it. Uh, during the week, uh, we're talking about how to, get to, how to actually do it, how to pray more, what does it look like, chatting through it together. Um, also, if we don't have something like this, my fear is we'll talk about it, maybe feel good about it, but not actually pray more. And so the hope is that going through this together, we'll actually pray more as we talk about prayer. It's an amazing thing, right? It'd be a tragedy if we talked about prayer for six weeks and we're all kind of stay the same in our prayer lives. But it's, it's a difficult thing. Now, if, if all of this is new or any of this is new, what really I'd say is just don't go it alone. We're not meant to be alone in this life. We might think that's a status quo. That's a horrible status quo. It's a horrible way to live. We're not meant to be alone in our lives and it's devastating to our spiritual lives to try and grit our way through. Now, if you've been around Redeemer for a bit, uh, you've learned here four areas that we just talked about, these four points here, that you and I and everyone else here need prayer for. So let's all pray together earnestly, even if it's something like this that um, you might use. Uh, and this and it really is kind of like an easy handout. Three different things to pray for and a list of three things. If you do something like this, um, tell someone you're doing it. I mean, maybe in your mission community you're able to do this. 
Um, but if you tell somebody you're doing it, it might be kind of scary because the goal is for them to ask you, well, how's it going? You're like, oh, I don't want anyone to know how it's going because it's not going at all. Um, uh, and it might be one of those things where you write the names down and you leave it by your bedside table and you never pray about it again. You know, that's just how it goes sometimes. You don't have to feel like shamed about it. No one's really shamed to living a better life. Um, but the goal is, if this helps in any way, like, let's do it. Let's, let's use it together. Colin filled one out the other day and we pray through it every night. It's, last night, we were praying about church planting in Manchester. My six-year-old son saying, God, I pray there'll be a bit more churches in Manchester. What a great prayer. I mean, he knows exactly what he's talking about because he's been part of this. I love that. Um, so tell someone else to do it. Don't do it alone. Uh, make sure, it, and if you're in a missional community, make sure that you're chatting through it. Uh, and, uh, and with this course too, um, all the information that you need, these sermons, all the prayer, prayer course stuff, the videos, whatever, it's all on this website. You can go there yourself if you'd like, although it's not ideal, obviously, for you to go through it by yourself, but it is better than nothing. We're not going to withhold it ourselves. One of the things that are on there is basically a cheat sheet to all the sermons. These are all the main points for the next uh, sermons. You're like, I don't even know, need to go to church. I just got it all right here. Um, so if you're like, oh, what, what, what did we talk about last week? What were those things? I want to pray through those things. It's all just right here on one page. So you can have it up. Uh, we're basically, prayer is difficult enough. We're trying to make it as simple as possible so that you can just roll out of bed, have the thing in front of you, and just start talking to God. Like, that's, that's a totally good way to go.